0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. With more than 30 weekly podcasts, HRN has something for every food lover. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by 818 Tequila. Handcrafted. Expert-approved. With over 20 International Blind Tasting Awards, 818 Tequila, imported by 818 Spirits, Manhasset, New York, 40% alcohol by volume, drink responsibly.
2: Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at hearstranch.com.
3: Hey there, and welcome to the Feed Feed Podcast. I'm Alexa Santos, a food editor at the Feed Feed, the world's largest crowdsourced food publication and social media community, serving as your daily source for what to cook, bake, eat, and drink. Here on the Feed Feed Podcast, I'm speaking with members of the hashtag Feed Feed community to hear their stories, learn about their culinary inspirations, and get some of their best cooking tips. I'm so excited today to be joined by Noor Ashour, aka Catastrophic Cook on social media, Noor is a cook, blogger, recipe developer, and mom of three. Noor is also a first-generation Palestinian-American, born and raised in Denver, Colorado. She shares simplified Arabic cooking recipes and extravagant baking. She also has an e-cookbook available at CatastrophicCook.com. Welcome to the Feed Feed podcast, Nora, I'm so excited to chat with you. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm so excited, too. Yay! So... This has been kind of a long time coming. We've been speaking, I've known you for a while. I've loved your recipes. I guess take me back to the very beginning. When did you start doing all of this? This I know you had kind of an interesting journey to get to where you are now. So what's kind of the beginning of this whole story of yours?
4: Okay. So my blogging kind of started before blogging was really a thing, and it was just a way for me to like save recipes that I liked. Um I never really cooked when I was back home because my mom just outdoes everyone with her cooking. Um, I kind of delved into baking just a little because I was homeschooled throughout high school and I was just really bored and I was (laughs) really bad at it, which is where the name Catastrophic Cook came from because everything that I made was like inedible.
3: It was really bad. Oh my god. Okay, that's hilarious because I kind of always wondered where that name came from. I thought it was something like super edgy, like, you know? like No,
4: I was just really bad. Like, my poor family would have to eat, like, some – like, I've ruined boxed brownies before, which I didn't even know was possible, but – It was bad. I remember making a cheesecake one time um, and I I thought you had to bake a cheesecake like a regular cake where the toothpick came out clean. It was like the most overbaked cheesecake in the entire world. It was so bad. Oh
3: my god! So yeah, I was just
4: really bad at it.
3: (laughs) So how did you get so much better? Like was it just trial and error? Like what did you do? A lot
4: of trial and error. I just – when something didn't work out, I'd watch YouTube videos on how – like I still remember watching a YouTube video on how to whip egg whites correctly. Um, And it just slowly became like where I just taught myself things and and learned from different videos or different food bloggers. And and I just got good at it. And it was just a hobby at that point of just like baking, Um, like I said, not so much cooking. And then um, it wasn't really the blogging at that point. Um, It was just entertaining myself and feeding people. I love to feed people. And then after I actually – so I got married in 2014, the end of 2014, and I moved to Texas. And I was so bored, and I didn't have anything to do, <laughs> and because I, I didn't have a job yet, I was supposed to go back to school. I'm a teacher. I was supposed to go back to school here so I can kind of get my credentials um, to teach in Texas. Well, then I got pregnant, <laughs> and so that didn't happen. And so I just started food blogging. And at this point, I had to start cooking because I would start cooking, and every time I wanted like a, a like a regular Arabic recipe that I that I loved and I was used to. I wouldn't know how to make it. And so I'd call my mom and, like, she was the worst at giving recipes. Like, she's such a good cook but so terrible at giving recipes because she doesn't measure.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah she's just like, you know, add that, that until it looks good. Yeah, you're like, what? a little
4: of this. And, and it just was awful. And so I would make things according to how she would tell me. And I'd make them once, twice, three times. And then I'd write down the recipe because I'm, like, one of those people that, like, measure salt with a spoon. And so. <laughs> I got good at it and I started posting these things and people really liked it. They're like, oh my God, my mom makes this. And every time I ask for a recipe, she she doesn't know how to explain it. And so it became like where I would simplify all these Arabic recipes that I was used to eating at home.
3: Okay. Well, what yeah, a mission and what started. a journey. I know. It's crazy. Oh but yeah, gosh. that's kind of
4: where I started. And that's when I got into food photography. Um, I took the Broma Bakery food photography course. And that's kind of when things changed, and I started doing sponsored work. and And this year kind of was crazy for me too. So it's just it's just been like one thing at a time, but it's been great.
3: Oh my goodness! So you mentioned kind of your mom's Arabic cooking. Um, are you are you Palestinian on both sides, or like what is kind of the what I, kind of food did you grow up eating?
4: So, okay. My parents are both Palestinian. So my mom is full Palestinian, but she was raised in Jordan. Mm -hmm. And then my dad is actually half Palestinian. My grandmother from my dad's side was Lebanese. Okay. and so But they were raised in Palestine. Um, So yeah, I got a little Lebanese in there and then a little Jordanian for my mom being raised there, but that's kind of where I'm from. And then I'm the first generation in the US.
3: Yeah. So your mom sounds – like, she had all the Arabic food down. So, like, what <laughs> did you – what were some of your favorites growing up? Oh, my God. That's
4: a tough one. Okay. So, favorite dishes. I think my all-time favorite dish is something called shush um, And that's actually something, depending on where you go, they make it a little bit differently. This was actually something my grandmother would make, my dad's mom. And it's pretty much like little dumplings that they make. So, it's you make, like, a homemade dough, roll it real thin – Um, And then you stuff it with like a meat mixture and you make these little dumplings. um, And then some people fry them, some people will bake them, and then we actually add them in raw. And so then you make a yogurt sauce and you add them to the yogurt sauce and you top it off with cilantro and garlic. That's like I think my all-time favorite dish ever. But for my mom's dishes, it's going to have to be grape leaves. My mom makes the most amazing grape leaves. I yeah, love I don't think leaves. I have a favorite, favorite food. I, I My mom growing up used to tell me that I just hated an empty plate because anytime she made something, I would tell her, oh my God, this is my favorite.
3: <laughs> That's so funny. So how – I don't know if I've had – or how how do the grape leaves that you're talking about kind of differ? I feel like I've had a lot of like Greek Mediterranean.
4: Yeah, they're grape a little leaves, different. Grape
3: leaves, a little different? What, what, how, how so? Okay, so
4: I feel like the Greek ones are a lot bigger too. So okay. Okay, so depend, So we have two kinds of grape leaves that we'll make. One of them is a meat and rice one, and one of them is a vegetarian one. I like. Mm-hmm. I personally prefer the vegetarian one. But, like, for example, the vegetarian one, we roll them thinner. It's not like your traditional thick dolma where they're, like, just really big where you just need a few. We roll them a lot thinner. Um, and then the filling, like I said, it kind of depends on your family and what they do, but we have a vegetarian and a meat virgin. The meat virgin is literally just – a short grain rice with a chopped meat and like kind of like a chili style meat, and then salt, pepper. Like it's very basic spice wise. Um, and you just roll them up, and then we cook them with like tomatoes and then um, meat on the bottom. And then the Yum. vegetarian one is parsley, mint, garlic, onions, tomatoes, and then rice. Okay, and that so one's it's with olive oil.
3: Yeah, it sounds like those are maybe like a little more tomato-y whereas like the Greek ones are sort yes. of like lemony like very yes okay I think right. I'm starting to wrap my mind around this but I do want to try these so
4: our yeah. <laughs> the most traditional dishes I think for Palestinian food I think the two most traditional dishes is something called imsachan, which translates into from Arabic to English it translates into heated and it's a very that's like the most traditional dish of Palestine and it's a bread kind of simple the texture of it is similar to a non bread. It's called taboon, and we make it – you'd make it at home. I, I honestly don't make it, but um, it's topped with – you would thinly slice onions, and you'd cook them with olive oil and the spice, sumat, Um and you'd cook them with that. It's got like that traditional purple color from the spice, and you'd mm-hmm. cook the onions like that, and you'd place them on the bread, and then you'd serve it with chicken. And mm-hmm. then the second dish is called makluba, and it literally translates into upside down. <laughs> so that one is fun because you make it and you layer it in a pot and then you flip it upside down and you're like a pro at it if it doesn't fall apart
3: when you flip oh, it. Oh, yes. Is that, it like the, or meat. It's, is that like it's the really Persian tadig sort of? Similar. So
4: we do it like chicken or meat and then we put eggplants, potatoes, cauliflower. Some people do carrots. Like every family kind of has a little twist on it. And you layer like the chicken and the bottom or the meat and then the veggies and then the rice and then you'll flip it and we'll serve it with just like a simple salad and yogurt.
3: Okay, well this all sounds delicious. That's like I think everything is my favorite. I don't have a favorite. (laughs) Yeah, it's probably like trying to choose your favorite child. They you love I know, right? There you go. Oh my goodness. Yes. So it sounds like you were eating good growing up and was this kind of I've, I feel like I've talked to a lot of people who are, you know, first generation, you know, whatever they are living in the U.S. Was it sort of interesting for you growing up in Denver with like this kind of rich culture happening at home? And I assume not a robust Palestinian culture surrounding you or what was that kind of like? Oh, okay. So in Denver, actually,
4: the community in general is a lot smaller. Like here in Texas, the community is huge. Like the Palestinian really? community is huge. Um, in Denver, it was not. Um, I actually went to private school most of my life until middle school. And even then, like, I remember going to school, which, you know, in, in a private school where a lot of people there were Palestinian as well. Um, and my mom making lunch for me, and it was always a Lebanon sandwich, which is like a yogurt mm-hmm. um, with zatar on it or, like, having the little mini Persian cucumbers in my lunchbox. And I never thought it was weird. And then when I went to public school for middle school and people would look at like the little mini Persian cucumbers in my lunch and be like, what is that? Like they had never seen a cucumber like that. And what? I'm like, mom. I had never had like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich for so long. Right. I don't even like, I remember begging my mom to buy like boxed mac and cheese and thinking <laughs> it was like the most luxurious dinner ever. And now like that I have kids, I'm like, gross. <laughs> boxed Literally. mac Literally.
3: Oh, my gosh. And I think we're around the same age, too. And, like, I feel like in that time in, like, the, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, it was, like, such a thing to have, like, those gross-ass, like, kid cuisines or, like, purple Uh ketchup and, like – you know, Pop Tarts, yes. Gushers, like all this, like super gross, like processed stuff. Whereas now, I remember like, the Lunchables? The Lunchables yes. were a
4: big thing back then, and I'd oh be like, "Oh my this god, is so this looks so good! I really want one." And now I'm like, "Thank God, my mom used to pack my lunches."
3: Oh my god, I know. So yeah, people like the kids, like jokes on them because they were eating like gross, like <laughs> Lunchable, like taco, whatever, and like yeah. the little pizzas and stuff. And you were getting like real, actual food. I know, like legit food. Yes. Oh my God. That's so funny. So I'm sure it was like a little, I mean, at the time, like a little stressful for you, but it seems like you came out on top in the end. <laughs>
4: Yeah, it's really interesting now because my daughter started school this year and I pack her lunches and it's really crazy to me that she asks me to make the things that my mom used to make me for lunch or oh. she loves taking like leftover food for lunch. And it's crazy to me how she like embraces that. And she's in a public school and she she took some of our holiday mamul cookies to school and all her friends, she came home and she goes, my friends want the recipe for their mom. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. Wow. Well,
3: I guess that's a positive sign that times have yeah. changed huh yep like that's that's i mean you know society's moving in the right direction then no more purple ketchup we're doing real like home style food from here on out oh my gosh that's hilarious all right we're gonna take a quick break and hear from our sponsors
1: This episode is brought to you by 818 Tequila. 818 creates their tequila using traditional methods at a family-owned and operated distillery in Jalisco, Mexico. 818 is created from fully matured blue agave from the Los Altos and Valles regions of tequila. It is then slow-cooked for over 30 hours, extracted using traditional Tajona wheels, distilled twice in copper pot stills, and aged in American and French oak barrels. This process creates the best-tasting, highest-quality tequila possible. Their tequilas have received over 20 blind-tasting awards. They strive for excellence in every sip. 818's Blanco is sweet and smooth, with undertones of tropical and citrus fruits. Their Reposado is soft and balanced with notes of caramel and vanilla. Their Añejo is elegant and velvety, with crisp herbal notes and a warm vanilla finish. Visit drink818.com to learn more about their tequila and find it near you. 818 Tequila, imported by 818 Spirits, Manhasset, New York, 40% alcohol by volume. Drink responsibly.
3: when you were growing up, were you kind of interested in cooking with your mom or were you just like, nope, I'm going to sit down and eat? No, we always helped in the kitchen for sure. My mom always gave us jobs in the kitchen.
4: Um, I remember always making like the salads um, like for – because we eat a lot of salad with our dishes or having to do the prep work for certain things. And now that I have a kid, I'm like always trying to pawn the prep work off on her like what she can do. Yeah. <laughs> so I know why my mom used to do that. But I learned a lot of what I know from my mom and my grandmothers. Um, I used to cook with my grandmothers as well. Both, So one of my grandmothers lived in Denver, my dad's mom. And I used to cook with her a lot too. And then my other grandmother was in Jordan, but we'd go for the summer or she'd come visit. And she taught me a lot of cooking too. So I feel like my entire family is just so – like all of my aunts, everybody's just so good at cooking. And anytime we'd go somewhere, that's kind of like – how we would do things. It was always together. So I definitely grew up in the kitchen. And like, I remember a friend coming over one time and asking me, how did you learn how to cut a salad? And I was like, it's not that complicated. Like, come on now. <laughs> but now I'm like, it's because my mom taught me all these things. And I have, you know, I know people now that don't know how to do anything in the kitchen. And it it's
3: just kind of weird to me. And I'm like, my own daughter can get up and make her own breakfast if she needs to. Right. Oh my gosh. So you were interested in it, but you were just unfortunately not good at it until recently. No, I wasn't. I was not good at the baking. The baking was awful. And my mom, like I said, she
4: used to make everything. So I never even really cooked Arabic food until I got married. But like baking-wise, I was just – I was terrible. It was so bad. I've made some very horrible things.
3: (laughs) (laughs) So why were you so interested in the baking then? Just because you liked it or – I don't know.
4: It's just, it's something I've always enjoyed doing. Um, I like making things that look pretty and that taste good. And I have a really bad sweet tooth. I think that's also what it is. I have a terrible sweet tooth, like chocolate chips over chips. Like it's, it's always, I just have a very bad sweet tooth. So I think it's like part of it was to satisfy my own sweet tooth.
3: (laughs) Yes. I mean, that's perfectly valid. (laughs) Even
4: until now, like I make things that I love because I just love eating them.
3: Yeah, that is – I mean, go you because I totally agree. I'm like people who like love chips, I'm like, no, I want candy. What are you talking about? I know, me too.
4: And now I feel like I also really enjoy the baking because I love teaching people how to make things. Like it brings me so much joy to teach somebody how to make something because there's so many desserts that I feel get overcomplicated, especially Arabic desserts because it's hard Mm -hmm. for you to find legit good Arabic desserts in the States. And so I love to make things to replicate things that we don't have and to like make them easier for people. Because, like I said, there's so many desserts that I would think were so complicated to make or so hard to replicate the way that my mom or my grandmother used to make them. And I love teaching people how to make these
3: desserts. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that is that part of what you, you know, try to do with your blog and, you know, social media presence is kind of make this these Arabic foods more approachable? Because, I mean, for example, like when you and I cooked atayef together for Ramadan, you know, I had never heard of those. And, you know, I'm in in food media. Like, you know, it's like (laughs) I think what you're describing about it still being sort of a mystery to a lot of the general American public. Is that sort of a lot of what you try to do with your work is kind of make it more approachable for people?
4: For sure. For sure. So I think a lot of Palestinian food in general doesn't get the spotlight. And I don't, I don't even think up until recently that there's been Palestinian food or Arabic food that has been highlighted. Like I'm not even going to lie. It bothers me a lot sometimes that I'll see like a hummus recipe or something by Mm -hmm. a blogger, which is great. Like, I mean, all these bloggers that post all these recipes, it's amazing as a food blogger. Like I love to see other people succeed in these things, but it drives me crazy. Like I don't like, I want to be able to represent my food the right way the food that I grew right. up eating the right way. And so I always want to make sure that when I'm putting out these recipes that I'm able to represent it like that. And it's just – I feel like recently, been that you know our food has gotten represented. Um, I remember a few years ago – I don't even remember what recipe it was that went up on some major magazine and it was – I think it was actually a Palestinian food that was not even represented as Palestinian and it drove me crazy. And I was like, oh. you know, like it just sucks that all these – other bloggers will get featured for these things, but this is our food. Like I want my food to be featured. And so I think that was like also a big part of it. And I actually just did um, a piece with NBC a couple weeks ago and got to highlight Palestinian food, which is something that a few years ago I would have never imagined. Right. And so it's been great to see like our food highlighted and posted on social media and posted on the news, you know, for what it really is. So that was a big goal of mine for my blogging, and and it's been great to see it, like, happen.
3: That's great. Um, Well, I think it's, you know, honestly, you know, as coming from the other side, and I haven't been in food media all that long. You know, I Mm -hmm. got my job at the Feed Feed in late 2020. So I think since I started, it's really been kind of that, you know, just – I can only speak for where I work, but sort of that thing where it was, like, almost – an ignorance thing where people are like, okay, you know, this bloggers recipe of hummus is beautiful, like, let's share it. But then without knowing that, oh, actually, that's, you know, something that, you know, comes from XYZ culture, and we should, you know, honor, you know, that
4: intentional,
3: right, exactly. And I think that's really come a lot more to the forefront, you know, more and more over the last, you know, as long as I've been doing this for the past couple years, where people are like, Really starting and trying to be more cognizant of those things. Like, if we're going to mm-hmm. share, you know, a Korean bibimbap recipe, it should come from a Korean creator. And, you know, but, and then it's kind of back and forth. It's like kind of this never ending cycle because then it's I like, know. okay, well, then this recipe gets popular and then, you know, it's trending. And especially with, <laughs> yeah, and then it's a trending recipe. And, you know, everybody on TikTok, you know, everybody on TikTok is making, you know, Emily Mariko's salmon rice. And, like, yeah, it's definitely inspired by Japanese cuisine. And, you know, it'd be great if, you know, a, it was a Japanese creator who went viral for that. I think she is part Japanese or something. But then it's, like, okay, well, like, this is going super viral and, like, everybody and their mom is making it. How do we honor the original source when it's, like, completely gotten out know, of it? TikTok is hand.
4: unfiltered.
3: TikTok is yeah. crazy.
4: So I post a lot of recipes <laughs> on TikTok and I honestly don't even, like, the comments don't bother me because – I'm not going to lie. I get a kick out of responding to some of the comments sarcastically. But, like, it doesn't even go to heart anymore because they're just ridiculous. But (laughs) I actually posted um, a baklava recipe or a baklava recipe. Mm -hmm. Now, baklava – there's Greek baklava. I didn't even know that there were so many other cultures that had baklava. Like I genuinely I didn't like either.
3: I, I had didn't no know. idea.
4: And when I posted it, people so I made a joke um as the caption of it. So in Arabic, you have people that will pronounce the A sound as a K and okay. people that don't pronounce that. So depending on like where you're from in Palestine or where you're from in Jordan. And so for me personally, my family says balawa, but okay. I have like my sister's husband's family who say Be'lawa with a, with a G kind of sound. And then there's other Palestinians that say Be'lawa. And so as a joke, I'm always picking on my sister and saying, you know, you guys talk with like the, the G sound. And so as a joke, like the caption was, what do you say, lawa or baklawa?" Um, don't tell me like, you know, that you say it with a G. And and so many people got offended. I'm like, this is not supposed to be offensive. This is like a literal inside joke. <laughs> like, relax. Oh my God. And I had so many comments about how baklava was Greek and it was Turkish. And I'm like, I didn't realize it was so many different things. Like, this is genuinely a food that I thought was Palestinian, that I right. grew up eating. And so I get like a lot of the time, you know, you have to give people the benefit of the doubt because some people just don't know that a certain food comes from this certain place. Or, like you oh. said, it just looks like a great recipe. The photos are great. Let's post it. But yes, people are being, and especially like the bigger companies now are being more conscious about the fact that, hey, this is actually this kind of food. Let's represent it the way it should be represented, which exactly. is great. And I don't think there's a lot of minority, per se, food bloggers. Like, You know, I don't even, I think when I started food blogging, I don't think I knew another Palestinian food blogger. And then now there's so many of them and I see so many of them featured and it makes me so happy. Like I actually just have a Palestinian friend who I think you've seen her work before. Her name is Fufu in the Kitchen. She just published Mm -hmm. a cookbook. Oh, nice. What, like insane. Like, yes, you go. And and so much of this food blogging world becomes competitive and it shouldn't be. Like you should be supporting all these other food bloggers and hyping each other up because guess what? We all cook and we all look for different recipes. And I think like the best feeling is when some of the food bloggers that I know will like say, oh, hey, I used her recipe. I used Catastrophic Cook's recipe. Like there's no shame in using someone's recipe. Right. And so I think it's been so great to like see food bloggers grow in this way and then like you know different magazines or different um publishers realize that you know there's so much different food that we should feature. And so this girl getting a cookbook, like me being on the news, like there's just so many things that I never imagined that are happening now. And I hope that they'll continue to grow and and when you see something that you think like hey, we should have been featured for this speak out because it's not always, you know, out of a bad place.
3: Yeah, no, totally. And I, I, I appreciate you having that perspective because I think a lot of the time ignorance is kind of bliss in that situation where it's not like, wow. you know, someone knew like, oh, hey, this is actually a Palestinian recipe, but we're mm-hmm. sharing a oh, white bloggers doing it like Maybe the person didn't know, you know, I mean, and a lot of time it is kind of like the whole, like, even with you sharing the baklava recipe, like, you didn't know that came from other cultures. Like, I would say nine times out of 10, the person or whoever it is, you know, even if it's another blogger, like, didn't know. So it is kind of this... Yeah, sometimes it takes being like, hey, just so you know, like that's actually this and this recipe or, you know, this comes from this culture and, you know, whatever. So yeah. I think it does take a I lot mean, of education. I recently and-
4: posted that hummus recipe that went viral on TikTok and yeah. BuzzFeed Video actually reposted it. And when they did, I got some some awful terrorism comments oh, on God. Facebook. Like it was insane. Like the, some Facebook? of the commentary on Facebook. It was ridiculous. Oof and the the i think the worst part of the entire thing was facebook wouldn't remove the comments saying oh that they didn't go against their guidelines and i was like you've got to okay. be me. but buzzfeed was great like i had so many people that reached out and were like oh you know why would you let them post your video why would this and i'm like it's not their fault that Facebook is like this. And so when I reached out to Buzzfeed, they actually took the time to remove the comments and make sure that it was represented the right way and that these people weren't allowed to go on there and comment. So you just always have to reach out because like you said, there's some people that just don't know about something or some people that ignorance is bliss. So it's just, I think that you should always reach out because it's not always out of a bad place. And, And it's great to see that so many different bloggers are being represented lately. And I love that.
3: Yeah. And I think there is obviously still a lot of room to go, but it has yes, for sure hundred improved a lot. And I mean, you've been yeah. in this space a lot longer than I have. So I'm sure you've seen kind of a drastic yeah. shift in the that shift whole.
4: Is, is crazy. There's definitely so much, there's so much more room to grow with it. But like you said, I mean, when I started, there was, I don't think, it was a dream for me to be featured somewhere. Mm-hmm. So the, definitely there's still ways to go, but it is great. And you just have, you have to speak out and you have to speak out for what you think. And and just give people the benefit of the doubt because as long as you approach things the right way, I, like I said, it's nine times out of ten, it's not always out of a bad place.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So I know you know you're really excited about your you know your colleague and or, you know your peer, your Palestinian peer, having that um that cookbook. And I know you have an ebook as well. So is that? I, I mean, I know that that was obviously something that took a lot of your your effort and soul probably At, going into <laughs> that. But so I'm how sorry. does it kind of feel? to, you know, even though it's not in print, but like who needs print anyway, but <laughs> to kind of have that, you know, that piece of your, you know, your soul kind of out there in the world. I I think so, it's super cool.
4: I think it was really cool. It it was a lot of work. It was definitely a lot of effort and it, it has mentally prepared me for one day writing a cookbook, which right. is like a dream that I will forever want to fulfill. But it was, it was great. I mean, I love that people have access to something. There's recipes in there that I don't have on my site. Um, it, it was a lot of work. I'm not going to lie. I underestimated the amount of work that was going to have to go into it. But yeah. I made it really cheap. Um, it's available on my website. It's called Sahtan, which is something that we say to people after you finish eating. So when you go to someone's house and you tell someone you know, after you're done eating, thank you so much for that dinner, or, thank you, or this is delicious, it's, we respond with Sahtan. What
3: does that mean? Um, It's like, you're welcome or
4: like – I don't even know how to translate that. Um, I'm going to have to think that through for a minute. Yeah. Um Yeah. yeah, it's. I have to ask my mom. My mom's going to totally butcher me for not knowing what the trend is.
3: <laughs> it but seems just like good vibes all around.
4: Yeah, it's something that we say. I'm actually going to look it up for you real quick because I okay. know it has like a very specific meaning that has just like gone out of my head right now.
3: Yeah. I mean, it seems like a good vibe regardless. Just like we ate, we're happy. Like, yay. Yes. <laughs> yes. No, no. I'm going to look it up. Okay. Please do. Okay. But- let's.
4: <laughs> um, okay. So it says that it translates to a wish for double health. So it's kind of like oh. saying Bon Appetit to somebody. Oh, but I knew it like, on no. oh, it? Just like there's a specific Arabic translation that I needed to, to know. But anyways, it's something that we say. So that's why I named the cookbook Sahtan because it's something we say to somebody after
3: they eat. That's
4: so cute. Uh, I love so that. Yeah, that cookbook is available or that ebook is available on my website. And then this year I've been putting in a lot of effort to make sure that um, – I'm uploading all my recipes, especially with reels going around. Reels have been great. I'm doing a lot of recipe videos, and then I'm uploading all, like, the actual recipes to my site now. So I have never given my blog as much time as I've given it in the past year, which has been really nice because it's grown. Like, it's it's shown me that the work that I'm putting into it, I'm getting something out of it now.
3: That's – yeah, that's the best. And, yeah, I mean, obviously – you and I both know that it's all about the, you know, the short form video, the reels and yes. the TikToks, and you know, it's kind of interesting. This a whole other like rabbit hole that we could go down. Kind of the the shift from the more traditional blogging that I'm sure you yes. got very accustomed to with like the very stylized photos so and the recipes on your site. I now I it's like, this like more. I think I, I like, like it too. <laughs> because,
4: okay, so when when I started, like I said, it was just saving recipes, and then the year when I got married and I really started to kind of blog, I was very bad at putting things on my site. It was just kind of doing photos and learning the food photography. And then the year that I started to get really serious was 2018. I don't think the videos were a big thing yet. And it was, it It was was like like food photography was a big thing at that point. Mm
3: -hmm. This was,
4: that was the year that I had my second baby and my husband had his ex and I kind of took off social media for a while. And then when I came back to social media was when videos started getting popular. And at this point, I remember being the first of the food bloggers that I know to do stories. And I would do like step-by-step story videos. And so like this Reels is really nice in the TikTok videos because you can kind of like compress it into a video that they can watch over and over and over again. And it's short form, which is great. Yes. Um, And then I just – post the recipe for whoever wants it. So maybe one day I'll get into like the longer YouTube videos, but I don't know how I feel. It's just so time consuming.
3: And yes. And the short
4: videos, I can cut the audio out and let's be real. My kids are always screaming in the background.
3: <laughs> yeah. Long form is definitely a beast. And I mean, I yes. personally like the short form video, you know, world because I'm, I'm terrible at photos, A. And B, it's, it's a lot more, I feel like it takes the for lack of a better term yeah it takes the professionalism out of it where i was like before you need this like super stylized like dslr camera like you know i do all my videos
4: on my phone
3: exactly same and now it's like okay everybody became a creator overnight with like you know the proliferation of tiktok you know anybody in their kitchen just setting up a you know not even a tripod like holding it with one hand while they stir a pasta sauce (laughs) you know making Gigi Hadid's pasta, you know, and that can go viral. It kind of took the, you know, the pressure off to be like this perfect like stylized version of yourself and become more, you know, real. And of course, obviously it's become a lot more stressful for creators to, you know, have to keep up with like the volume and the consistency I know. and like the sure. the competition has just become insane. But it is. It does the the barrier to entry has become negative. Like there's literally all you need is a phone.
4: Yeah, and it's great. And like the way, like I mean, if you'll see some of my videos, I guarantee you'll see one of my kids' feet in a video somewhere. Because <laughs> I'm either carrying a child or I have like a lazy susan on my table where I record things, and my child yep. is always spitting on it. So like you'll see her feet like in and out of videos, and it's so funny. That's so um, cute. And then like but that's if I, life. Like, put the audio out, you'd hear like like the the normal screaming in the background with my kids so I think it just it does take the pressure off in a way um but still like you can still make the really like I just did a campaign with Sam's Club and I gave them like a more professional video like no feet in the video <laughs> and it's nice because you can do both with the short form it does t- it is time consuming I'm not gonna lie but like I think it's the editing that takes the longest
3: yes agreed a hundred percent the editing really can yeah I, I have I loved probably it.
4: I, I just love the ease of it
3: Yeah, so I mean, it's it's super interesting to see. And I feel like you are kind of one of the more OG bloggers I've spoken to, I feel like a lot of, you know, creators who I've interviewed or had like the pleasure of getting to know are part of this new crop of like, you know, short form video, you know, quote, unquote, experts who kind of ridden this wave of like okay you know they blew up because they were posting on TikTok in 2020 where like they you've really been through the thick and thin of it of like the OG bloggers the food photography and now you've which I think is really smart adapted to the short form video because a lot of old school bloggers haven't done that and then they wonder why they don't grow and it's
4: definitely yeah I I had kind of just plateaued for a while so like I said in in 2018, when I really like took that blogging seriously and like actually started a website and was like, okay, I'm going to take it seriously was the year that my husband had an accident. And we just put everything, I just put everything on pause for a while. And so when I came back to like blogging in 2020, it was strange because I like, I went into the world of like photography and food styling. And then when I came back, it was just like, no, no, that doesn't work anymore. <laughs> yeah. You need videos
3: now." Yeah, it was like you were in a coma and you woke up and the whole world had yeah, changed. Yeah, it was
4: crazy to me, but um, you just kind of have to adapt to it. And when I got consistent with it this past year, because I mean, I've always had like a baby. And so it's always been yeah. hard to like get consistent. It's just like, oh, when I feel like it'll i post something. And then I got consistent with it this year. And I think in in Ramadan this year, which was in May
3: mm-hmm.
4: um, or April, sorry, Ramadan this year, I grew 11,000 followers and I grew 20,000 followers on TikTok because I hadn't had a TikTok yet. My sister was like, you need a TikTok. And I'm like, I'm too old for a TikTok. She's like, no, you need a TikTok. I'm like, I wouldn't even know what to do with it. And so I started a TikTok and in just a few weeks grew to 20,000 followers and then 11,000 new followers on Instagram. And I've had several viral videos. So, and then my website traffic like shot up. It's been crazy. Like what the consistency of it does.
3: That's great. Well, congratulations. I'm glad you've like finally been able to like put the put the elbow grease into it. without, Like, you know, you know, who knows if you'll have another baby or not. But I don't know about that currently. I mean, it's been a little hectic with the three at home. I bet. So do you think that you're gonna try to instill this love of like cooking and you know, Arabic food in them? Or like, how do you kind of foresee passing this down?
4: Oh my God, for sure. hundred percent. So my oldest one, she's six now.
3: Mm-hmm. And
4: so both my daughters, by the way, have cameras already, like little cameras. Oh and it's hilarious because when you look at their like camera roll, it's food pictures. Um, oh. So when I come to take my food photos, my daughter is always hanging around. Um, They know, like, what camera pieces to hand me. My daughter, like, my older one, knows to tell her younger one to be quiet. My Actually, my younger one, when I'm recording, she tells me I'm frozen like Elsa. Um, So (laughs) it's funny because they love it. And then you actually – they had career day at school and like you asked her, what do you want to be? And she goes, well, I want to be a baby doctor, but I'm going to be a food blogger like my mom. And she's oh like, my, my mom God. is famous. And I'm like, oh my goodness, it's crazy. So yeah, it's definitely whether I want to instill it or not, it's there. They love food. Um, my oldest loves to cook with me. They just, they love to do all this stuff. And I know like she really has it in her to like finish it. It's really cute to to see how they hang around when I'm doing stuff like this
3: that is so adorable i feel like you couldn't even like write a cuter like iteration of i have child like a couple voiceovers waters.
4: where my older one has done the voiceovers oh my it's god, pretty I'd it's pretty that. interesting i mean i i try to keep like their faces off social media just because social media is crazy
3: yeah for um, sure
4: but we've done voiceovers with her and it's just it's the cutest thing
3: oh my god i absolutely love that well that was like the cutest answer ever <laughs> thank you for that no I love that. Yeah, hopefully all three of them like love it as much as the other yeah, two. Yeah, I hope
4: they'll be less picky with food
3: because <laughs> oh, we've my been gosh. Watching, like picky phases, and it's not fun. Well, oh, that's pretty. That's par for the course. It seems like. <laughs> so, yeah, I love to
4: watch like how how especially how it like helps them appreciate our culture and the kinds of food that we eat. Yeah. Like she's so proud of it. Like she was so proud to show her friends the cookies we made for the holiday.
3: Oh my gosh, that's adorable. Oh, yeah, like they that's seem... definitely something that I love. They seem like little angels, but, and they you're are. probably, like, in your head, like, yeah, okay. <laughs>
4: they, are, they are when they're not screaming. They are.
3: Yeah, on their good days. They're wonderful. Yeah. Well, they seem they super, super day. sweet, and I'm glad that they, like, love it so much, and, like, it seems like, obviously, your love and passion has rubbed off on them in a very yeah. meaningful way, and I think that's all very adorable. <laughs> yes, for sure. Yeah. Well, did you have anything else important to add that I didn't ask you, my friend? I don't think so. I'm trying to think. I mean, I feel like we covered most of it. Yeah, the the highs and lows of food blogging.
4: (laughs) Yeah, I think we got – like we got the most of it. The photography has been great. The reels have been working for us. I'm starting to do sponsored work. Nice. Yeah, I feel like we The kids are loving
3: it. it, The kids are
4: loving it. The neighbors are always fed. They always have food to eat from. Like we've got a neighbor that I'm always like handing food to, especially when you have to recipe test a few times. (laughs) (laughs) You get constructive criticism and they get to be fed. (laughs) Yeah.
3: Amen. Yeah. I've been, you know, since I've been staying, I've been kind of nomadic lately, but I've been staying with my family. And so it's been kind of nice to have someone to actually like a help me a little bit because you know my dad will just, he dishes. can't resist <laughs> yeah exactly he can't resist helping me with the dishes and be you know trying the food and kind of having you know you make a recipe it's very hard to make it for like one or two yeah so you make a normal size and then yeah you have someone to help eat it so that's definitely yeah. helpful
4: especially I when that. I make something like twice or three times in the same week because like I obsess like when I make something one time I like obsess over it I'm like no I'm not going to stop till I get it perfect so by like oh, the third wow. or fourth time I'm like sick of it but then neighbor- even <laughs> Like you'll always find somebody to take it.
3: Yeah. One man's trash is another man's come-up. Exactly. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Noor, for being here. It was such a delight getting to chat with you more. And working through the technical issues to make this finally go. Oh my gosh, of course. And you've got me, you've got me hungry. So that's that's the whole point. That's what it's all about, right? That's always the point. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about the food and drink discovery platform that is the feed feed, head to thefeedfeed.com. If you have a food story to tell or want us to interview a blogger, cookbook author, chef, or restaurateur, we would love your suggestions. Just send us a DM on Instagram. See you next time.
1: This show is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.